When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. All right, no full show this weekend since it's the international break, but we are coming to you now with a Tottenham segment, of course, featuring Steve Magookin. You can find on Twitter at Steve Magookin. He, of course, was formerly the chairman of New York Spurs, the New York City-based Tottenham supporters group. Steve, always a pleasure chatting with you, both personally and professionally. This time, a bit of the latter, though, as we talk about Tottenham. Over this international break, as you may recall, Poch was sacked at this international break last season, so it has been now a year of the Jose Mourinho era at Tottenham. At just first blush, what has been your impression of Jose Mourinho as the manager of Tottenham Hotspur? Well, uh, th- thanks again for having me on, uh, Kevin. I'm actually in your time zone this week. Uh, I'm I'm in Baltimore. Uh, I'm oh, nice. normally live in Belfast, but obviously I'm I'm here. So it's been a year since I've been on this side of the pond, and uh, and as you say, it's been pretty much exactly a year since since Jose's appointment. And you know, when when you and I have spoken before, uh, it was obvious how much I love Potch and what he did for the. For the team, we, we both agreed that I, I think he had taken us as uh, as far as it was going to go in that current set in that setup. Uh, and then, so when Mourinho came in a year ago, next week I think it is. Uh, I mean, everybody knew he was a winner, and and uh, the timing of him coming in and the circumstances in which he did were open to debate and that sort of thing. But it, I mean, it turned out for the best. Who would have thought we'd end up being so optimistic? Uh, just a year later, about the direction of the team. I mean, even in even in the middle of the the, the bizarre circumstances in which football's being played out at the moment. I mean, if you look at some of the things that that he's achieved in the first year, I think the most fundamentally beneficial thing is that he has the team playing in a much more organised way, and he he knows exactly what he's looking for in the personnel. Um, he recognized some of the frailties very quickly and reorganized how we set up. I think, uh, oh, I think also for a, for a fan, from a fan's perspective, having the Amazon documentary <laughs> looking over his shoulder mm. and getting an insight into his mindset was just amazing. Um, and it was particularly revealing, actually, I thought about uh, Christian Eriksen's exit and the way in which uh, Mourinho's man management style works. Um, there, there was a, a really good uh, tactical analysis yesterday on the cartilage-free captain side. I don't know if you saw it about how um, Jose has changed Harry's role to, to become a deep-lying playmaker. Uh, mm. And I think that's been really crucial, especially in, obviously in his link-up play with Sonny, which has uh, certainly paid dividends for, for both of them this season. But I think I think where we are at the moment is he's laying the groundwork. He's building a platform for success. And if you look at the signings, uh, particularly 
Heuberg and Reguilon and in particular, I think the perfect pieces in a in a very Jose type puzzle. Uh, and I think they're going to turn out to be foundational signings for us. The first the first part of that platform uh, in in what is a Mourinho work in progress. So all told, you know, I'm I'm very ready for the next couple of years. I mean, his contract uh, goes for another couple of years, so uh, it's absolutely fascinating um, where where he might be able to take us. And I mean, <laughs> and obviously, uh, I'm sure you've seen the the veiled sarcasm in his Instagram post. You know the. <laughs> Which is totally justified, I think. By the way, you know, it sounds like um, it sounds like Jose's next step is it will be to you know take a leaf out of Donald Trump's book and and just refuse to accept any result that we don't like. Yeah, I, I very much appreciated Jose Mourinho's Instagram this year. Um, it's <laughs> it's been one of the few positives of this year on the whole. Uh, I definitely agree with a lot of what you said there, and especially with the organization aspect, because everybody expected Mourinho to come in and fix the defense and fix mm-hmm. the away record. The latter has definitely happened before the former there, but the defense is starting to show signs. And, and you mentioned uh, Jose noticing in the team like the flaws and what he needed to fix. And for some of that, it was looking outside of the club. Uh, you mentioned Hoybier there, really the perfect player to sit in front of that back line, even though he hadn't been a defensive midfielder very long. He basically only played that role the one year at Southampton. Um, but obviously with his uh, interception, his constantly standing in the lines um, to kind of just make players play their second best pass instead of the first one, I, I think really helps. And it also covers us defensively a lot. Um it's been a weird year. It, it it is still weird that Jose Mourinho is the, is the manager of Tottenham, but like you say, there's definitely a lot of optimism at the moment. Uh, just for you emotionally, does it still feel like he used to be Chelsea's manager, or does he just yeah. feel like Tottenham's now? <laughs> no, we're still we're still working that through. It's like uh, you know when when you watch our team, uh, it's like going to the psychi- psychiatrist every week, and you're still working through your um, your allegiances and also your sense of well. You're waiting for him to screw up. Um, I, I, you, you don't remember, uh, but I do. When uh, when George Graham became the Spurs manager, and it, it really uh, that was a that was a significant uh, character shift for a lot of people. I mean, we couldn't even bring ourselves to chant his name. Uh, you know, we used to chant "Man in a Raincoat, Blue and White Army." Um, so you know, there. The, but but this is different. This this feels. If if he had come straight from Chelsea, if Chelsea had been his most previous club, I think it would be a different uh, approach. Uh, I think the fact that his relationship with Man United went sour and that then he felt that he had something to prove, I think an awful lot of pressure has been taken off him as well because uh, he, I think the the realization that he inherited a good group of players is tremendously genuine. I and and if the one thing that came out of that Amazon series that we were talking about. Uh, I think it's that. I think there's a real sense that this is a professional setup. It's not like he was being brought in to, to save a team. He was being brought in to, to take a group of players that really should have achieved more uh, and, and take them to that next level. And the combination of just someone who has that winning record, someone who can walk into the dressing room and, you know, throw their medals on the table and say this this is why you should do what i say um that that really that combination of that with the group of talented players that we knew we had under potch uh but really just couldn't move to that next level 
Uh, and it, it, it's as simple, I think, as two or three personnel changes. And I, I, you know, I don't want to sort of dump on Christian Eriksen too much, but I think the dynamic uh, of having Eriksen in the team every week um, meant that Harry wasn't going to be playing that deep-lying role. And now that he has turned into the playmaker as well as the finisher, I think has been a huge advantage to both to him and to Sonny and to the rest of the team. So, you know, what looks like adversity at the start um, uh, is really just the idea that you, you polish uh, the players that are there and then their true nature comes comes to the fore. And mm. there really isn't a better coach to do that than Mourinho. I'd agree. And I think that's a really interesting point. It actually, as you were saying, that reminded me of when Liverpool sold Coutinho and immediately were better <laughs> instead of worse because it allowed... Um, Firmino to kind of drift a bit more and obviously he, he's a very well-rounded player and I think we're seeing that a little bit with us as well of of when everybody talks about like the death of the number 10 or the death of the attacking midfielder it's because forwards are capable of doing a lot more and we're certainly seeing that from from Kane at the moment uh, you keep referencing the uh, Amazon show obviously all or nothing the Tottenham Hotspur edition it wound up being nothing um, yeah. but um, <clears throat> one of the things that we saw in that as you mentioned is the alienating of players Ericsson and Dombele, uh, Ericsson left, and Dombele has now come largely good if his fitness gets up. I, I genuinely do not think the Premier League is really ready for a fully inform and fully fit uh, Tongi and Dombele. The moments of brilliance are just incredible. But the latest person to to draw that line of, of managerial style has been Deli Alli, who both of us in the preseason were like, he, he's this is the year he really shows up. Especially once we signed all these huge players, you, you know, you plug Deli Ali right behind Kane, and maybe you, you have something. But as you're saying, that's kind of Kane's role now. What what do you think about this uh, kind of prodding style of management, where he continues to kind of irritate his own players to see if he can get more out of them? And, and do you think there's a path back for for Deli under Mourinho? I hope so. I really hope so because Deli has been one of my favorite players the last few seasons. But I think you're absolutely right to, to highlight that contrast between Christian Eriksen and Ndombele because clearly I think Ndombele didn't feel part of the squad, didn't feel included, uh, and that took a little while to to work its way in. And I just wonder, you know, how much of that was down to Mourinho and how much of it was down to the other players, how much of it was down to the, you know, the the inclusion aspect uh within the within the squad itself um obviously I, I, and it goes back to what we were saying about Mourinho having the track record to be able to say well this is why uh i'm able to do what i'm doing or able to to take the tack that i am with you some players react to it in a positive way clearly in double has uh and i think you're absolutely right the, the league's not ready for for seeing uh this sort of potential that this player has and I'm glad they pers persevered with him there's been an awful lot of negative speculation about Delhi uh, recently especially with uh, uh, going alongside the speculation about where Poch might end up and uh, you know would would Delhi fit in better at Manchester United if Poch ended up there I you know that's all speculation I think it is down to the player themselves, whether they want to knuckle down uh, and actually, you know, try to improve or try to play more the sort of style that the uh, that the manager wants. But again, it comes down to whether or not they're they're going to get the minutes to to do that. And obviously, as you say, with bringing in 
expanding the score the squad in a way that we did in the last transfer window um it, it it makes it harder to both to break through into the squad if you're not in the first 11 but also to to hold on to your place so yeah it's a big it's a big challenge for delhi and uh it it really wouldn't surprise me if uh at the end of the season that that there is a there is a parting of the ways but yeah you know this is Mourinho's style and uh, and it, it's a winning style so let's let's see how it plays out yeah and, and it should be noted that when Mourinho came in Deli Ali looked like our key player yes um yes. so that that has happened within the last 12 months I think it was last December or January when he did that overhead flick against Manchester United yeah, <laughs> and he scored a goal. He still has that in him. Oh, there's, um, but never, there's never been any doubt about what a skillful player he is. I mean, that's that's why Spurs fans get so frustrated when he's so inconsistent. Yeah, for sure, because we know what he's capable of and he doesn't do it often. But I think under Mourinho, we're seeing this where Tottenham for for years and years and years and years has been a club that has had a few mercurial talents and a whole bunch mm-hmm. of other people doing their jobs. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's enough, sometimes it's not enough, depending on what the objectives are. And I think under Mourinho, we've seen a phasing out of that. That consistency yeah. is more important than how you are at your best. That's why Dyer is starting instead of Davinson Sanchez. It's right. why Dougherty is starting in the league over Serge Aurier. It's why Deli Ali isn't sniffing the pitch, but Ndombele and Lacelso are alternatingly. Mm-hmm. Like like the the mercurial talent of when he's hot, he's a world beater, and when he's cold, you're playing with ten men. Just isn't how Jose Mourinho works, and I think we're seeing that at the moment um, um, with yeah. Tottenham. Is that those players that that burn so bright when they're hot, but then cool off quickly? are finding it very difficult to get a sustained run. No, that's you're absolutely right. I agree with everything you just said. And and again, that that you know, not wanting to dump one on Christian Eriksen, but that's that's the profile that you just yeah. described. Yeah, for sure. And and uh, I'm not pleased that things haven't gone well for him since he's left. But the fact that he can't get regular game time at Inter Milan really speaks to. Uh, either his current skill level or his current effort level. I certainly wouldn't dare to guess which one of those, but it is one of those. Um, On the other end of the spectrum, you have Sonny, who has been absolutely brilliant, currently leads the league in goals, or is tied with it with Calvert-Lewin and Salah, I think, if memory serves. Mm -hmm. Um, Mourinho was asked about Sonny a few weeks ago, um, and he was asked by the press if he thought Sonny was world-class, and he said that that was the media's job to decide. Um, so we're very loosely media. Is Sunny World Class? <laughs> uh, we had this conversation of, uh, earlier in the season or uh, towards the end of last season, and uh, we, we weren't sure. I think was the was the end result. Um, he can be. He can be. I think he was to a certain extent a world class player when he was in playing in the Bundesliga, for example. Uh, because he was clearly head and shoulders above a lot of other players that uh, that were there. I think the, the the interesting thing now is that we're seeing him in in tandem with Harry. That you're not seeing him as an individual player, but he really does make the difference between um, when we're. Uh, it, it, you can you can tell when he's playing and when he's not playing, and it's not just because of the impact that he has on Harry. It's uh, it's because of the. The runs that he makes, the uh, the, the space that he eats up. Um, it, well, there's still an issue with his tracking back, obviously, but um, uh, but I think that's that's still something that uh, 
that he can develop in his game or 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 that we need to make sure we compensate for in other in other areas of the field but um your definition of a world-class player is it's like the mvp in the american sports leagues you know do you do you give the mvp award to somebody who's uh, contribution sort of push their team to a to a, a league victory or a championship or whatever, or do you give it to someone who clearly is the best performer, regardless of how their team uh, finishes? Uh, so you know it's it, it's a, an, an objective, a thoroughly um, uh, or subjective um, way of looking at, at how you describe a player, uh, but he can have a world-beating combination or a world-beating contribution to to how we line up as a team and especially if if harry and sonny are on their game uh there's there's very few teams that can that can live with us going forward um the the problem is the the rest of the rest of them <laughs> yeah i'd agree and, and you are right it is a fairly nebulous conversation and i assume that's why there's never been really a definitive answer I would just say the very fact, however, that we are so keen now to nail him down to a contract extension mm. tells you uh, that that Jose at least knows that that's the bedrock on which he wants to build the team going forward is that partnership between mm. Harry and, and Sonny. So is- I, I and we'll we'll come on to talk a little bit about signings and the the winter transfer window and whatever. But but I think that's actually crucial to. Um, to how we build for next season, for the rest of this season and for next season, is if we can just nail down that that partnership and make sure that um, that Sonny goes nowhere, really. Yeah, and I'd agree, but I'd also say that's probably bad news for Delhi because the idea when Mourinho came in and what worked so well was it was Kane and Delhi up front. Yeah. And now that it's become Kane and Son up front, this isn't a three-man show. Um, so the fact that it is Kane and Son so reliably, I think is bad news. But uh, just to finish up, uh, the point of what is world class. I think there's a group of people that think world class means are you in the world's best eleven, right. or does it just mean that you're at a very high level? Do you walk into any side in your league? If it's right. the last one, yes. Son yes, walks no, into agree, any eleven in the Premier League. Is he the best left winger in the world? Probably not. Yeah. yeah. So it re- it really falls where the definitions lie. But there is not a team on this earth that would not rather have Sonny than not have him. Not have him. Absolutely. Certainly not a team in the top half of the Premier League. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Next, we'll move on to the other side of that partnership, which is Harry Kane. You've already mentioned the fact that he's playing a bit deeper, sometimes very deep, considering he leads the team in like tackles and crosses, or mm. or, or sorry, uh, tackles and clearances. Um, a couple of goal-saving <laughs> clearances yeah, already exactly. to his name this year. Not with his hands, which we saw in the Europa League. That didn't go as well. <laughs> but heading him clear certainly seems to be uh, on the docket this year. Um, obviously, as you know, I'm I'm relatively recent to Tottenham. Uh, you a little bit less so, no offense. Um, but I'm just wondering for you, uh, where would you put Harry Kane up against some of the legends of previous Spurs eras? Right. Okay. Uh, well, I, I don't feel qualified to judge him against players like Jimmy Greaves, who were before my time. Although there there are certain you know uh, comparisons there that I think work. Um, for me, I'll only judge them on the on the players that I've actually seen in the flesh. Uh, and I think Gary Lineker was probably the best um, natural, intuitive striker that I've ever I've ever seen in the flesh. But my uh, favorite Spurs partnership of all time, strike partnership, was uh, Teddy Sheringham and Jurgen Klinsmann. And, and they, 
not just for the, the number of goals or the number of chances that they created, but the, the, the notion of the understanding and the just pure football intelligence that they showed. Uh, and and you could see you could see it also actually when when Teddy played with Alan Shearer for England there was you know it was a joy to watch and I I think I really do think Harry has at least played himself into that echelon uh, and the potential as we were talking about his his partnership with Sonny the potential for developing that partnership still further I think is just tremendous and again that's um, to Mourinho's credit whenever. Whenever he's asked anything about the, the partnership between uh, uh, Harry and, and Sonny, he always gives credit to Potch for for laying the groundwork for that. Um, but I, I think in terms of the, I'm starting to see comparisons now between those two and and Teddy and Jurgen and the way in which they played and way in which they uh, created uh, magic, uh, which which for me was just an absolute joy to watch. So um, I, I certainly Harry, in terms of the numbers, I mean, we know his numbers are, are only going to improve from here. Yep, now uh, 150 Premier League goals. Still not sure uh, he'll catch here, but we'll see. Well, we'll, we'll see. But, you know, and obviously uh, you, 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 you bake in a certain amount of, uh, you know, fatigue and injury into, into each season that he, that he plays. Um, but I, I just, I do think in terms of, uh, the the way in which he's thought of by the Spurs fans and the way in which they think of uh, tactical players and and uh, players who use their ability to the the best of their uh, of their of their um, capacity, I think Harry is certainly up in that in that sort of top echelon, well, along with along with Lineker, along with Sheringham, uh, along with Klinsman. Um, so certainly. Certainly for me, he's there, and the, the, the potential for developing even further uh, is just tremendous. You mentioned sharing him there a few times. Obviously, we know that's why he wanted to wear the number 10, was he wanted to to honor Teddy sharing him. And from what I hear, the play style is actually not that dissimilar. Do you do you see that in his game? Oh, I, I totally do, especially this season when he's been dropping deeper. Uh, and you can see that he sees passes uh, a lot quicker than than uh, a lot of other what you would call pure strikers. Uh, in a strange way, it's kind of weird because you're sort of thinking he's setting this this pass up for himself. If he was running on to it, you know what I mean. And and happens Sheringham, all the time where you're like, ah, oh, if only he was in the box after he passed it up front. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, and Sheringham used to do that as well. And then when you know when when Sheringham uh, finally linked up with with Jurgen, it was like they had this. Uh, this mental telepathy that just the, they knew exactly where the other one was going to be, uh, and it was really it was really wonderful to watch. Awesome. Well, I will need to find some old I don't know VHSs of, of <laughs> sharing them to to look into it myself. But that's obviously very very encouraging to hear and very cool considering that's that's who he was trying to emulate by by taking the ten when the nine was available that one year. Um, right. We mentioned that there's, this isn't a three-man show up front for Tottenham, but Gareth Bale will certainly try his best to have something to say about that. Obviously, the biggest name that we brought in, although like you mentioned, you could very easily argue that Hoybier and Regulon were much more important signings uh, right. in positions of need, even though we admittedly said we weren't in the market for a left back. We had right. Davis, we had Cessignon, we still air quotes have Rose. Um, but just too good of an option to turn down. You bring in Hoybier, other names that, that were brought in, uh, Matt Dougherty, 
Obviously, bringing in Joe Rodon at center back, bringing in Carlos Vinicius, finally bringing in a backup striker. Uh, add all of that clutch of players to Steven Bergvine, who obviously we brought in in January and scored that crucial goal against City last time. Obviously, City up next, which we'll get to later. But of all of these players that have recently joined, which one has stood out the most to you? And, and zooming out a bit, how surprised are you that we genuinely went in for seven players? Right, it's incredible, and you have to give credit to Daniel Levy for um, for an amazing transfer window. That's why I think our business in the winter window will probably be quite muted, um, simply, be- well, partly because there aren't the players available that, that there would be in the close season, uh, but also I think you want to give uh, Mourinho a chance to build the team uh, based on the, the that number of players, as you say, who came in. Uh, for me, the interesting signing and and probably the key signing is as regulon uh only because i think we kept it so quiet when a lot of the other major premier league teams were after him uh and uh, you have to give credit to bale because i don't think regulon would have would have come to us if bale hadn't come so i think there is a there is a sign and also joe roden as well i mean that that signing i don't think would have happened if uh if it hadn't been for bale and ben davies um, so yeah, I mean, I, Bale is crucial in terms of what he represents as much as what he gives us on the field. And those of us, you know, I know you remember uh, watching him uh, play before he left. And, and yeah, my was, first year was his breakout year. That, it was a good time. That's right, absolutely. And, and and I remember that you know the 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 first time that he played with Eric Lamella. You know, the idea that he's playing with someone who was brought in to replace him, <laughs> wearing his number, yeah. Right, yeah, the last player left, the last player standing from the uh, from the blink splurge of the bail money. Um, but no, I, I I I'm I love Bale, and I'm hopeful that that he can get back to full match fitness. And it sounded like he had a good game for Wales against Ireland the other night, and I I think he's playing again on Wednesday against Finland, or he's due to play. Although he did um, he did sit out the game uh, the friendly against the uh, the US, uh, and and all of that is it's good preparation for him as he as he tries to get back to to full match fitness and also i think it was good to hear um the welsh fa and the the the, their manager whose name escapes me just for the moment um having such high praise for for Mourinho's work uh Mm. with Bale so far and and the understanding i think that it's in both their interests that they get a, a fully fit gareth bale back uh, and and you know I, th- I think his development is uh, totally on track for what you would expect for somebody who hasn't played for for such a long time. Uh, and I think again Mourinho is probably the perfect manager to work with in such a, a sort of rehab situation uh, as as we're seeing with Bale. Um, but you know you know it, I, I watched the um, I watched the England Belgium game uh, this week because the the Northern Ireland game wasn't available on ESPN the um, the Austria game and I watched the England Belgium game and and it was interesting watching our watching Harry laboring away and just not being able to get any traction uh, and with with any of the players who came on around him Calvert Lewin or you know any of the players who were who were playing alongside of him he couldn't he just didn't seem to click with any of them um and and it was he was even being forced to drop even deeper whereas you know uh, Toby and and the late lamented Jan Vertonghen were were generally excellent at the back uh for Belgium and I thought Jan looked very very comfortable indeed as in, in contrast to to Eric Dyer and the opposing back four so you know, 
as much as I, I, I love to see the, and you, you know how I feel about the international breaks. I, I hate international breaks anyway. Uh, but the idea of having international friendlies during a um, uh, during an, uh, a pandemic uh, just just seems to be to be completely insane. I mean, it used to be you would worry about your players coming back injured. Now you worry about them, you know, coming back infected. I mean, there basically shouldn't be any circumstances on which, for a non-competitive game, uh, players are required to come out of what what are pretty efficiently functioning. Premier League team bubbles. That just doesn't that doesn't seem to make any sense at all to me. And now you know we're seeing this with uh, with Matt Doherty and the fact that you know uh, uh, Sonny is now quarantining because a couple of his teammates have have um, uh, have, have tested positive. So you know there, there are ongoing issues. Uh, I think for every Premier League team uh, in dealing with uh, each inter- international break, and I think they'll they they might have to rethink. Uh, the logistics of how these are how these are conducted um, next time. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot; we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Agreed. Out of all of those players, uh, who do you think has stood out the most as the best signing from the summer? Oh, the best sign? Well, for me, it's, uh, well... I think Hoiberg and Regulon uh, for for different reasons. Hoiberg because uh, I think you knew what he was capable of, and you knew exactly the sort of player that he was going to be for us. And again, the timing of him coming in at the time when Vertonghen left, I think, was particularly um, fortuitous for us. But for me, uh, Regulon uh, is uh, he's going to be a, a player for the future, absolutely. He's going to be a star for us, and I, I'm so glad that he chose us over. Uh, I know Man United were interested in him, and I know other teams were mm. uh, were sniffing around. So I'm, I'm really, really happy that he uh, that he ended up with us. Agreed, and hopefully he feels very happy because he could be bought out either of the next two summers by Real Madrid. Yes. But, yes. but uh, let's hope that that is not what happens because he certainly looks incredible. And I, I tweeted out, I forget which game it was during, and I was just like, he's going to be a top three left back by the end of the year. Totally. In the Premier League, he's he's just so so good going both directions. And you mentioned Hoybier there; he commands the midfield in a way I genuinely don't know if I've seen. And we've had plenty of good defensive midfielders that brought different things to the table. Where we had Sandro, who was obviously just like physically super gifted, mm-hmm. Scott Parker, who just read everything in front of him, Wanyama, who just destroyed everyone at any at any opportunity, and. But all of them, none of them were the leaders in that midfield. Right. I guess Modric was with both Sandro and and Parker. I was, I was just going to mention Modric because, in a way, 
one of the things that Modric never got a lot of credit for was just how much he would he would niggle at at players to break up play uh, and, and just cut would, into passing lanes and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And he would just he would just make himself uh, uh, a nuisance and 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 just not uh, not let up opposing players settle on the ball. And I think that's something very much that Hoiberg has uh, has a talent for. Yeah, and the fact that he's also the one breaking up play makes it a uh, yeah. all the all the more interesting. And you can see him constantly encouraging all of his teammates or or shouting or directing play. And it's it's yeah. uh it's it's one of those things that I wish I was able to see live because obviously when you're watching on TV they kind of cut around the midfield so you don't get yeah. to just like track him the whole time because obviously when it gets into the attacking third the camera's going to swing where the ball right. is. But uh, I'd imagine he he will be even more impressive in person if uh, I'm ever able to get back over there. Post COVID, and, and of course, they they can only they can only benefit. Both of those players uh, can only benefit from from playing under somebody like uh, like Mourinho, mm. and that's I think where uh, where I think Mourinho's vision for the type of team that he wants to build, uh, I think, is absolutely on display there. Yeah, 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 definitely agree. It's 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 an exciting time for sure with all of these um, new signings. Maybe less exciting for other sides. Obviously, Liverpool's defense dealing with loads of injuries. Manchester City as well with Nathan Ake picking up a an injury for the Dutch national team. Um, Mosala testing positive for COVID. Obviously, us with with Dowerty as well. Um, but with some other clubs struggling, obviously Manchester United doing one win, two losses seems to be their current pattern. Uh, with other clubs not really finding their feet yet, obviously with us very high in the table at the moment, have you ever stopped to think if you think we're genuinely in a title race or or would you just settle for kind of that top four area? Well, the last few seasons, I think we've been forced to settle for things that uh, we would, we are, our ambition outstripped. Let's Let's put it that way. But uh, I got to tell you, I think this is this is shaping up to be a real Andy Warhol season so far, where everybody gets to be top for 15 minutes, and uh, and really the you know the top four looks to be more wide open than any other recent season, and that's you know obviously why it's it's so important that we make sure that we pick up as many points as we can against teams in the lower half of the table. And that's, you know, something, as you know, that can very often be our Achilles heel. You know, we'll come on to talk about the Man City game in a moment, but but the idea that we can raise our game and we've got this this stretch of games, you know, Man City, uh, Chelsea, and then Arsenal coming up um, with, a, with a, you know, crowded uh, fixture list with the Europa League and that sort of thing. But we, I think we always can raise our game against the bigger teams, um, especially, I think, with Mourinho's tactical vision as well. Uh, but I think our, our Achilles heel continues to be um, the, the, uh, the uh, playing against the, the, the lower teams when really in a, in a league at the moment where any team can beat any other team. Uh, so I, I don't think there's any game that you can take for granted. And that's what, that's what still worries me a little bit about, uh, about some of the performances uh, that have been, uh, there's been a lack of consistency and, uh, and that's, I, I think, what might what might just hold us back from a genuine um, <clears throat> from a genuine title challenge this year. But next year, who knows? I mean, I I, I would be dis- let's put it this way: I'd be disappointed if we missed out on the top four this season, um, given the the way we've started and the the the, the determination that we've showed uh, so far. So. It, it, again, it's like every season. What would you settle for? Would you settle for a cup and fifth? Or, you know, <laughs> would you settle yes. for finishing above Arsenal? 
Uh, you know, don't think that'll it, be an issue. I well, I w- I wouldn't. I w- this, this is the thing. I wouldn't rule any team out at this stage. I think the the top four, the top four could be any any four from eight. I think at the moment, quite frankly, and uh, and not necessarily just the eight you would you would think. Um, so I, I I would be disappointed if we didn't finish top four, Kevin, this season. But uh, but who knows? Yeah. And, and of course, you know we've we've got the uh, you, you, with uh, uh, with Jose's track record in the Europa League. Uh, we're obviously going to be serious about uh, contesting in that, and now with the you know the route into the Champions League through that. Um, who knows? So that's uh, it, it. It makes for a more let's put it this way a more interesting season than I think it it might otherwise have been uh, had it been dominated by by other clubs. So I think we're we're definitely in the mix, but. Uh, I wouldn't really credibly expect us to be serious challengers this year. Mm. Okay, and then it's obviously not this easy at all, but trophy this year or no? Just gut feeling? Gut feeling. Uh, I I have a gut feeling about the Europa League. Mm. I really do. Uh, only, because, only because Jose knows what he's doing. Gotcha. Obviously, <laughs> the most difficult of all of them with, with uh, <laughs> how far <laughs> away it is, but... Yeah, I, I safe when I've had some very long conversations about which trophy would be the best to win because that's how uh, optimistic we are these days. And, and that, you know, if we won something like the Europa League or if we won the title, the Mourinho uh, era might end up being pretty short um, yes. just because it would have been like we did the thing. Um, but if it was like the League Cup, it might cause us to push on. But certainly yeah. wouldn't be greedy. If it's metal and right. Hugo Lloris lifts it, I will be more than happy <laughs> this season to be sure for me but yeah. I, I i do i do i am serious when i say i'd be disappointed if we didn't finish top four this year yeah agreed uh there are certain trophies that would get me over it but yes i agree <laughs> I, I think we we definitely should be a top four team not just with the the talent of our first 11 which tottenham have all, often had but the fact that we finally have the depth to back it up at a lot of key positions despite how they performed uh in belgium just a few weeks ago um yeah. if we are to challenge for the title, which it sounds like you're not as as thinking that we will be, but even if we're supposed to make the top four, we'll have to do it the the hard way, especially over the next few weeks if we want to stay in that hunt. Uh, for those that don't know, Tottenham's upcoming schedule: City at home, Chelsea away, Arsenal home, Palace away, Liverpool away, Leicester home, Wolves away. That takes us through Boxing Day, so that's yeah. seven matches, five of them incredibly difficult. Two to three of them being a little bit on the easier side in air quotes because, as you mm. mentioned, it is Tottenham and we're capable of losing or drawing to anyone, especially with Avar and apparently Manuel Lanzini. Um, over those <laughs> seven-ish matches, where yeah. do you think we'll wind up with the points from those matches and where do you think we'll be in the table come the day after Boxing Day? Right. Also, don't forget there are a couple of... Um... Uh, Europa League games, of course, and there, I think so. one Carabao Cup as well. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, yes, the uh, Stoke game I think is just before Christmas. Um, yeah, I, yes, that's that's going to be an interesting one. Um, the the Man City game and the Chelsea game I think are the ones that are going to give the the best indication to how serious we are about uh, contending. Uh, as I say, I don't. I I think there there's going to be more than three teams that can actually contend this year, um, but I think those those two results are going to be are going to be crucial. Uh, I I'm very happy that the city games at home. Uh, I am less 
happy that uh, that we have to go to Stamford Bridge, but mm. I think it's it's going to be those two games. I think, and the, I'm glad that they're sort of back to back because they they then sort of set us up for um, for a run of games that uh, shouldn't be um, apart from the Liverpool game shouldn't be as challenging as those two back to back. So I think it's those two. The, um, the the North London derby, I think this year is going to be a different mindset. I think a different way of thinking about. Uh, we're we're usually when we go into the North London Derby, we're usually happy to take a draw from the start, just for the sake of uh, uh, of getting out with our reputation intact. But I think that's slightly different this year. I think there there is an expectation that we should uh, we should actually win that this year. Um, Palace could be a tricky game because they're uh, they've shown themselves to be very determined, uh, especially at at home. Um, and that Eze Zaha partnership is really starting to click. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, they're starting to put it together. So, uh, yeah, uh, Leicester and Wolves are one of those those two games that um, could always end up being tricky, uh, especially going away to Wolves. Uh, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't underestimate uh, them in any way, shape, or form. But uh, yeah, I, I think the the City game and the Chelsea game back to back, and then the Liverpool game where we have to go to Anfield, which is never uh, always been um, a, a source of great confidence for us going there. Uh, those three games, if we can get something from the three of those, I think we'll be okay over that stretch. Uh, but then I, I think it, all that does is just point up exactly what I was saying in a previous answer, Kev, about how important it is to make sure that we do the business in the games that we are supposed to uh, win. Uh, and those are the ones that, that worry me in terms of being a, a potential Achilles heel. Yeah, and so, unfortunately, I, yeah, we've I, already fallen short of that with obviously the, well, the Newcastle and West Ham results. Exactly. And that, that I think, should have been a wake-up call. That should have been the sense that, you know, hey, whatever we do, um, whatever we do in, in the games against the, the, the top four uh, or, you know, perceived top four, uh, that we can't take our eye off the ball and, and, uh, and take anything for granted against teams in the lower half. So, yeah, I think that the, the combination of the City game and the Chelsea game, I think, are, uh, is absolutely key. I think the rest of the games in, in, those, in that run-up to Christmas uh, are probably manageable for us. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting because if you're aiming at the title, I think you have to win at least five of yeah. those, maybe six. If you're aiming for top four, you can get away with a little bit more. I, I currently as a loose prediction, have us winning 13 of those 21 available points. Uh-huh. Um, not really picking fixture by fixture, because you know okay. the, the further away you get, the, the harder it becomes to do. If you can yeah. even do it the next match, which uh, yeah. well, makes results there think, as well. But Yeah, I just think if we're, if we're in the top four by Christmas, hmm. and that, that stretch Which is before that games, Wolves match, just for people yeah, at home. Yeah, exactly. If we, that stretch of games is probably our, our toughest stretch of games. Uh, for the re- for the rest of the season, hmm. I think if we're in the top four by Christmas, um, then I think that's definitely a, a, a real platform to build on. Yeah. Uh, and you know, if we can, I, I actually I fancy us to win against Man City uh, <laughs> this uh, coming Did it last time. To be honest, um, yep. Uh, so 
yeah, I, I, I'm not going to actually just put a put a points total on it, but I just think if we're if we're third or fourth by by Christmas, then we're we're really in a very strong position. Yeah, and it should be noted that while you were uh, not as thrilled about the fact that we're going to be at Stamford Bridge and Anfield, that means we don't have to do it in the second half of the season. So right. if exactly. we even get if we even get a draw out of those two matches, we'd yeah. be we'd be in a much better place. And I do think the interesting thing about this run is I had a friend ask me which I'd prefer a win against Chelsea or a win against Arsenal mm. in this stretch because. In theory, Chelsea will finish closer to us than Arsenal. There, there are like big top four challenger, yeah. depending on whether or not United recover. But obviously, Arsenal is still Arsenal. So yeah. yep. that's 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 a tough emotional one. I'm not oh, sure right. I could answer that on air. But that, that's a it's an interesting conundrum for Spurs fans. It is it, if you could is. snap your fingers and win one, which would you pick? Well, uh, uh, Chelsea, I agree with you for the reason that absolutely the reason that you gave. And I would rather win one and lose one than draw both of them. Yeah. Uh, well, yes, <laughs> that no, would wait, certainly not, be more not ideal. Just, not just from the point of view of the uh, of the points, but obviously, you know, I think I think you hit the nail on the head with the fact that Chelsea are going to be finished closer to us than uh, than Arsenal will. Yeah, and then if any Arsenal fans are listening, sorry, but also why are you listening to a Tottenham update? So <laughs> it's a little bit of both of those well, you things. Know, they're they're preoccupied with us. They're obsessed with us. So well, it's... that's that's true. If their attentions have faded from the Gunnersaurus controversy, they <laughs> will be listening to this now. Um, all right. Well, we'll kind of wrap up by talking about the first of those matches. You've already mentioned you're kind of confident against City. They are who we have up next. Uh, mm-hmm. We will be without Matt Dougherty, who has tested yeah. positive for COVID. There are question marks hanging over Sonny um, because he has been close contact with people that have had it. So there's thoughts that he may have to do quarantine when he gets back to England. Although I don't think I can remember any high profile player coming from a country that isn't part of the, uh, I forget the term, but I don't remember anyone missing out because of that rule. So we'll see how that goes, but there is a possibility that Sonny will have to quarantine and won't be available for either the city or Chelsea matches, which would obviously be a massive blow. But just starting with that city one with all those squad uh, potentialities. Uh, talk us through a little bit more specifically about what you're expecting in the city match. Well, actually, I don't have a problem necessarily. Well, uh, a problem with uh, Aurier uh, coming in for for Doherty. Mm. Uh, I mean, Jose knows. Start? Yeah, no, absolutely, and and I think also he's trying. He knows that he's the number two now, so he's kind of uh, trying to uh, uh, you know work his way back into the into the first choice team. So. Um, Doherty's absence, I think, it would be uh, perhaps more um, keenly felt against Chelsea uh, if uh, if he's still out for that, which I hope he won't be. Um, I think he's he's missing uh, the Republic's next game, isn't he? And then uh, and yeah. then the second game. Yeah, didn't uh, travel with them. Yeah, yeah. So so yes, Aurier uh, coming in for 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 him. Yeah, I'm I'm not necessarily a, a, have a problem with that. Um, Sonny obviously is a is a different uh, kettle of fish, and if he is uh, quarantining the way you you describe, then that's that has uh, severe implications, I think, for us. But uh, you know, you just have to hope that uh, uh, Lucas Moura can can step up and and do a job in his absence. And at least the good thing is we'll have enough of a notice, enough notice that we can uh, practice around uh, not having Sonny. Um, so I, I suppose that's that's the 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 
the upside if there is if an it upside. Happens, yeah. yeah, exactly. At least we'll know about it a little bit in advance. It's not like he's uh, missing through injury or anything. So, yeah, that's that's going to be a real challenge for us. And uh, but I, I'm still pretty optimistic that we can we can get a result at City um, certainly. Yeah, then obviously, as we mentioned before, City dealing with a lot of issues currently. Um, no Odomendi, no Mendy, no Nathan Ake. Um, Cancelo has been turning it on a bit. They might play him at left back with Walker at right, which has kind of been what they're doing. A question yeah. mark on Sterling after the England duty. He obviously withdrew from the squad today. Uh, probably no Aguero. This is not a fully fully fit no. Manchester side, that, that, and they aren't at their best. And even when they've been at their best this season... Yeah. They haven't been all that impressive. The the scoring of goals has proven an issue for them, as I knock on wood, because that absolutely seems like a thing that would uh, flip on a dime against us. All of a sudden, the goals would start flowing. But it, you know, well, last- also, you know, I I mentioned I watched the England Belgium game uh, midweek and uh, or the other night, and and both uh, Kyle Walker and De Bruyne looked a little bit out of sorts. It has mm. to be said. So yeah, they just they just aren't at their best right now. Although leave it up to that kind of situation for for Tottenham to fall short against you know one of the weaker <laughs> City sides we've seen in the past few right. years. But yeah. Yeah. but yes, I'd agree with you. I, I think it's it's okay to be fairly optimistic about that one. And if we win City and one of Chelsea and Arsenal, I think yeah, yeah we'd we'd be in very good standing indeed. Uh, any final thoughts as as we uh, head towards the exit door here? Uh, well, I, I can't really go without uh, mentioning the sad passing of Ray Clements this week. Um, another in a long line mm. of just brilliant Spurs goalkeepers. Um, so just condolences, many condolences to his family, including his son, of course, uh, former Spurs player Stephen Clements. Yeah, obviously very sad to hear of his passing. Obviously less uh, familiar with him as others, but uh, definitely have seen the outpouring of, of emotion and affection for for his family uh, while they struggle through this. So yeah, very kind of you to say that. Uh, if you'd like to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Well, you can get me on Twitter at Steve McGookin, all one word. Uh, and if you want to check out my non-football writing, uh, you can get me at northernslant.com. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on. It's, of course, always a pleasure to chat with you about Tottenham or really anything in general, but we stayed on topic for the most part this time. Uh, For the most part. Thanks again, Kevin. I really appreciate it. It's good to talk to you. Yeah, likewise. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.